The following podcast uses words that Ben never used until we started this podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 282 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Today on the show, we have me and Nathan. What? I feel like the language changed here. (laughs) (laughs) I think I used to have the introduction in there, like the uh, in Vienna, Virginia. You want to say all that? Sure. Well, I'm in Vienna, Virginia. My name's Ben Olson, <laughs> and with me is Nathan Fox in Stateline, Nevada. I think You're I cut happy that out. Today, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I think I cut that out because it it didn't seem like why are we telling people our geographical location every time? But then, yeah, it doesn't sound right to not have it. Ben's on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. It's uh, I don't know. Maybe we should bring maybe we just drop the location and say our names. Hey, this is Ben <laughs> that would be Olson. A good, yeah, that because <laughs> it does sound it sounds way too uh, quick to get straight into the bullet points. Anyways, what is on the bullet points today, Ben? What, <laughs> what are, are we, uh, what are we going to talk about? I don't yeah. know. Nothing as always. Um, <laughs> someone wrote in and wants to know whether they should take the flex again or wait for an in person test. Okay, good luck. Could with be that. waiting a long time if you're waiting for an in person test. All right. And someone else is nailing reading comp, and they want to know when you shouldn't retake the test. Okay. Almost never. Someone, All right. It's easy. Yeah. Next. Someone has questions about... We'll be done soon, so thanks yeah. for listening. Uh, someone has questions about AP credits, transfer credits, and the mysterious LSAC GPA. I read through this email. That's going to be an interesting one. Um it's a bummer with like when you took classes in co- in high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's confusing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, I, it wasn't even an email to get on the podcast agenda specifically. It was more like just a help email, but mm-hmm. I asked to put, get it put on the agenda because I wanted to talk to you, talk it through with you. I wasn't really sure even what to say. So, okay. Hopefully we can help here. Uh, the next question is who still calls people? Deans. A listener's loss for words and wants money. Okay. <laughs> so we'll see what happens there. We have a new segment. Um, I guess we already started it last week. Excuse of the week. Today, we're going to talk about holidays and people who say that the ELSA isn't important. We have the good, the bad, and the ugly ultra running as a personal statement topic. Cue the Rocky theme at this point if you want to. <laughs> Adam, thank you. Um, and then we have a new segment, shit kids say wrong. Oh man, I could talk about that forever. So I'm excited. This will air on Monday, February 1st. The February LSAT is on the 20th. The April LSAT registration deadline is four days later on February 24th. And the April LSAT is on April 10th. Email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. We love hearing from you. Leave us a review on iTunes. That's how people find us. Um, yeah. You want to take this first email? Yeah. Uh, it says, hi, Ben and Nathan. I, hi, from Toronto, Ontario. Well, this Hope person's both... saying where they are. So that's... Do, yeah, <laughs> so we can too. <laughs> Hope you're both doing well. Wait, you know what? Before we get into this, Ben, I wanted yeah. to do a, a PSA. You said I'm looking, I'm looking happy today. Yeah, yeah. What's up, man? I am happy today. And I have a podcast recommendation that I think will increase the total amount of happiness in the world. Okay. Much sure. like our show. Uh, it's called Smartless. It uh, features Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes. They're okay. all actor, mm-hmm. producer, yeah. director, writer, super talented, super, super funny. They all are, come to find out, really good buddies in real life. Mm-hmm. And they have unreal guests. I mean, just incredible guests. And the the shtick on the show is one of them will book the guest, and then the other two will just show up to do the podcast, but they won't know who the guest is. Okay. Yeah. And they are always just like so enthusiastic to talk to this person, whether or not they've talked to them before. They're so enthusiastic. And if you listen, like I've been listening, I've been binging it, okay? While I'm okay. clearing Wait, snow off the deck. Wait, what's it called again? Sorry. Smartless. Smartless. Okay. Yep. I love Bateman. He's hilarious. Oh, 
and Will Arnett is so funny and Sean Hayes is so funny. They're so smart and they're so they're just so there's like it's it's like goodness wrapped up in a thing. I mean, they're just they do like a lot of busting each other's balls and stuff, but they're all mm-hmm. it's all so genuine and then they'll just have like the guest will be it, it's a surprise to to the listener as well if you didn't like pick the specific episode, right? So I've been binging it just listening mm-hmm. to all the historical catalog of the episodes. Yeah, yeah. And so How I get to be surprised. This? Um a couple weeks. I mean, I've probably listened to oh. like they're only like a half hour. Okay. And they do so one I've, a day or something? Like oh, how do they get so many in just a couple weeks? Uh, oh, how long have they been doing it? Yeah, oh, okay. You've been listening for a couple weeks. How They've long been you? doing it since like middle of the summer, I think. Okay. Right, it seems cool. like they're putting out maybe a couple a week or maybe just one a week or something. Yeah. But anyway, I've been able to listen to like 25 of them so far. And they're just, they're all hilarious. They're all like, you just learn something new about these people. And it's not like self-improvement, Ben. I don't know, you might hate it, but it's, uh, it's like. <laughs> That's all I care about. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> well, you do have a way of being focused on, you know, improvement, which is good. But um, anyway. It's been making me happy and I would really recommend everybody check out Smartless. Cool. Yeah. All right. I'm going to check it out for sure. It'd be my dream, Ben, to make something like that. I mean, God, it's just, you know, they, they, of course it's ad supported. So they just have mm. these like stupid ads throughout the show. Yeah. So they are making money off of it, but the show itself, you just get the sense of like, they just wanted to create it because it's, cool and they they just get to like chat to each other chat yeah. to the guest learn something about a new person and it's mm. all just real lighthearted and silly and it's it's great i mean uh, i everybody should like basically stop listening to us and go listen to that <laughs> instead it's like much sounds good yeah. Happier. yeah all right here we go um Hi from Toronto, Ontario. I hope you're both doing well and staying safe. I just took the January flex two days ago and had a pretty rough time. I'm feeling frustrated with the flex because setting up the software to begin the exam and get connected to a proctor took nearly 30 minutes. I had tested all my equipment beforehand and it was fine. This completely threw me off and made me stressed right before I started writing the exam. Additionally, I found this exam significantly more difficult than any of the 10 practice tests I have been using to study. I paid the $100 to access LSAC's official exams from recent years and felt really confident given that I was consistently doing well on them. A couple weird things in there, Ben. You want you want to <laughs> tackle them or you want me to finish this email first? Um yeah, go. Let's go ahead and finish okay. and hear. I guess his story, and then go back. The LR section of this exam seemed unfair. Nearly every question was much harder than anything I have seen on previous exams. Right after I finished the test, I did a search to see how others found it, and it seems that a lot of people had software issues that threw them off their game and or found this test stupidly difficult. I feel frustrated and sad that it didn't go so well. I'm wondering what you guys think I should do if I didn't score well on this exam. Should I write another flex exam or wait until in-person exams start again? Maybe this way I would avoid the unnecessary stress of doing this online. Thanks for your insight, D. Thanks thanks for writing in, D. I think Ben and I are about to drop the hammer on you, but go ahead, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry that it was frustrating and saddening, but I feel like this email could go right into our excuses of the week column. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, D, you're blaming your potential failure on this exam because it was online and you had to spend, quote, nearly 30 minutes trying to get connected to a proctor. I have news for you. That is not anything to get stressed out about. You did. Uh, That's fine. But learn from this experience that that shit does not matter and it has little to do with how well you'll do on the actual exam i'm thinking of a of a like a courtroom lawyer mm-hmm. are you are you going to be up are you going to be thrown off your game if there's a 30 minute recess <laughs> <laughs> we're going to adjourn we're going to adjourn for the day what i can't handle this 
It's like I, settle I, down. Yeah. You're late. The judge got called into other matters and that your thing gets postponed and you're going to just like then completely shit the bed on it. Uh, what? That does. It just sounds like a straight excuse for doing poorly. Um, as far as what do you think about uh, the, in the first paragraph, it was a very weird thing about like the 10 practice tests I have been using to study. Yeah. I, <laughs> it almost felt like the person was using them over and over again. Like yeah. And, and them. consistently <laughs> doing well on them. Those same 10 tests. <laughs> What about the so, other 80 tests that you have access to? I, or maybe it's not that many in LSAC prep plus, huh? Cause they only give you. Yeah. They don't give you one through 20, I believe. Yeah. I think they but started still, 21, but either way. Yeah. That's what still 70 tests. You should. Yeah. You got 70 exams, not 10 exams. And so like, maybe you didn't quite study enough. That's my number one hypothesis is that I just don't think you did quite enough prep. Um, I'm, I mean, if you took 10 tests and you didn't look at them like multiple times, obviously that would increase your score. If you actually took 10 tests and you were consistently doing well on them, I mean, I would assume that you have some chops, but I I just don't really know what's going on. Sometimes the devil's in the details, right? Like we start talking to students in class and they reveal that they're not reviewing or that they don't time themselves or whatever. And you're like, uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> that's a totally different experience. Big, big picture wise, Ben, how about, um, nearly every question was much harder than anything I have seen on previous exams. That's just not possible. It's totally not. That cannot possibly be the case. This is, this is D's subjective experience because D panicked, choked, whatever it was. D had a shitty day and that happens. And we're not, we're not criticizing you for that at all. But this was, this was something that you created. Not, this was not an objective, objectively harder test. I I don't, I just don't believe that there is such a thing. No. So basically what's going on here is you're misidentifying the cause of your failure. Right. And so I would not wait until in-person exams start again. That won't happen for a long time, as far as we know. Maybe, maybe ever. it will never happen. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it will never happen. Hey, D, real talk. Scores are about three quarters of a point higher since the flex started. Yeah. So, in general, people are doing better on a three-section test than on a five-section and a test that you take at home. Exam. Yeah, yeah. It, most people are finding it easier. Lots of people are having problems connecting to ProctorU, but most people, on average, people are scoring higher on the Flex than they did before. So it's not the Flex; it's you, and you know it's fine. You're, there's going to be bumps in the road, and this is why you take it five times. Yeah. If necessary until you get your highest score. But yeah, wait, <laughs> you could be waiting forever if you're waiting for the end of the flex. And the one other thing I wanted to say about this is the, uh, you know, right after I finished the test, I did a search to see how others found it. And it seems that a lot of people had software issues that threw them off their game and, or found the test stupidly hard. Well, you can find anyone that says that. <laughs> Literally every test that ever is released, like for a decade plus of me being in this business, every single test, there are some people who are going to like, just totally complain about how hard the test was. And in my experience, yeah, they're all the same. It's human nature. And it's like excuse of the week, right? Yeah. It's just like, well, I didn't do well because fill in the blank. And people love to say, oh, the test was just harder than the, you know. It's yeah, easy to reach I, that conclusion. I, I'm actually, yeah, I'm really like a 165, but that that test was just no. They put those questions through rigorous testing after they give you the official test. Yeah. Retake it. Do prep harder this time. Really confront your mistakes, like really dig into your each individual mistake and understand why you're missing those questions. When you sit for the official test, um, 
you shouldn't see anything unfamiliar. I mean, hey, Ben, we got a raft of unsubscribes after the after every test now, right? We see our subscriber mm-hmm. numbers for the demon. And when people are done with the LSAT, we get a whole bunch of people who unsubscribe. And we have a like list reasons why you're unsubscribing from the demon. Yep. And one of the most commonly one one of the most commonly chosen ones is I killed the LSAT. Yeah. And and those haven't stopped. Like we got a whole bunch of those right after the January LSAT. People were like, yep. Hey guys, thank you very much for everything. I killed it. I'm done. Peace. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're just they're doing that before they even get their score back. They're just like, yeah, that was the one. I'm you know I'm out. Mm-hmm. And so it it was not it wasn't like this test was harder than all the other ones. My last concern is D writes. I paid the hundred dollars to access LSAC's official exams from recent years. Okay. The problem I have with paying, it's actually $99 to get access to their exams and then study from those is that I just don't know how many people can really learn from just the exam itself. Like they take the question, they get it wrong. There's a lot to learn there and I'm sure some people can, but a lot of people, especially D here, taking away the wrong cause and effect from this exam experience how many times is d doing practice problems and taking away the wrong lesson when d gets questions wrong like yeah, oh, one month yeah, okay it was for this reason no it was for some other reason like you need you need explanations well do demon start with demon free you know sign up for the free version of lsat demon at lsatdemon.com do the june 2007 lsat or do the sections from the june 2000 2007 LSAT and then the two sections from prep test 65 that we have there's 150 questions there with full video and written explanations from me and Ben I'm sure that D you know yeah they did their best with those tests that they used from LSAC but the you know those 10 tests with self-review might not be nearly as useful as the one and a half tests that you can do for free in the demon when it comes with high quality explanations that are actually make sure you understand it before you move on to the next one. Yeah. Uh, if you like the style of demon free, then, you know, one month of a subscription to one of our plans, boy, could really transform people. We, we hear it all the time. Like, oh, I just signed up and 10 days ago and I've already improved by nine points or whatever. It's like, yeah, because you might have just been banging your head against the wall and maybe the demon gets them unstuck. So sorry for yeah. the sales pitch, but you know, maybe you just need some more help than self-reviewing the tests. All right, you want to do yeah. this next one? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for writing in, D. Didn't mean to drop the hammer too hard, but yeah, I wouldn't know what else to say. Yeah. Um, hello, Ben and Nathan. I have two simple questions regarding the LSAT and applying to law school. I took the LSAT for the first time in January and it went as expected. I think I did well on LR, logical reasoning and logic games, but not so much on reading comp. I know that your advice regarding improvement on reading comp is to fully understand the passage. However, even after reading the text multiple times, I sometimes still do not have a clear grasp on what the passage is saying. Mm. Wait, hold up. I want to stop right there. F, you said after reading the text multiple times, are you reading the paragraphs or the passage multiple times, or are you reading the sentences or a sentence multiple times? Right? Like, yeah, I, I see what you're getting at. Like just kind of going through the motions and then like going through them again and being yeah. like, oh, I, I still don't get it. It's like, no, yeah. you don't. the second you don't get something, you stop and you try to unpack that thing until you yeah. understand it. I've been reading more lately. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's, I notice it in myself, you know, it's just real easy to go to sleep, not literally go to sleep. I mean that too, but it's, it's easy to check out mm-hmm. while you're reading, you know, and you can get, you can like read two pages and have absolutely nothing go in. Yep. You know, I catch myself. I don't even realize where I'm at on the page. Mm-hmm. And I remember distinctly that happening in law school all the fucking yeah. time when you do those oh, boring ass reading assignments. 
Yeah. And you, you've got to train yourself. And I have to do it to myself when I'm reading fiction. It's like, if I'm going to read it, then I need to read it. And, and by the way, it'll, it's like, once you get into it, then you understand it and it's no, it's fun. The story carries you along and it's fun. But the second you don't understand a sentence or two, next thing you know, a whole paragraph is gone. A whole page is gone. And now you're just wasting time. You're just like lost in your thoughts and you're not actually like attending to the, the text that you're supposed to be reading. So Ben is pointing out here, like do this one sentence at a time, not one page at a time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one, the problem that I hear you describing is where you're lost in a train of thought that's actually separate from the reading, right? And I think in some cases, the person may be fully tuned into the passage, but they can't unpack the words because, I don't know, they're written poorly, but they just continue reading to the next sentence. It's like, they're like, ah, that that was a confusing bunch of words. So now I'm going to go to the next sentence, the next one. And so they're too, they're paying attention. They haven't gotten lost in their train of thought, but they're not like forcing themselves to dig in and unpack things that don't make sense. Yeah. Stop after the first sentence, cover up the rest of the passage if necessary. Ask yourself why, what do you think is going to come next? Why do you think this document exists? Based on what they've told you so far, you have incomplete information, but you do have some information. Yep. What do you think is going to come next? And it'll force you to be clearer about what information you do have. Totally. Because it's like you're just reading a sentence and not really digesting anything, not getting anything out of it. Go on to the next. Don't get anything out of it. Go on to the next. Don't get anything out of it. Well, by that point, I would already have a fairly good idea about where I think they're going to go. Yeah. And so the it's the comprehension. It, it doesn't happen at the end of the passage. The comprehension happens throughout the passage. And especially at the top of the passage, you need to be building comprehension the further you get into it. Uh, I'm almost guaranteed that they're just going too quickly. Yep. F continues, any advice on how to understand the passage better? I'm going to begin to read more in general as well as learning one new word per day. Um, Those things might help. My guess is that as you're reading the sentence, there might also come a time when, because this happens a lot on the LSAT, where the sentence itself is very long. And so if you're reading to the end of that sentence and you don't understand it, you may need to go back to a clause within that sentence unpack that clause, get your mind wrapped around that and be like, oh, those are the things you're talking about. Okay. Now let me resume the sentence. You may even need to start at the beginning of the sentence. Now that you understand that middle piece and then keep reading and then it will click. And it's like, oh, okay. I can see what's going on. Second, I know that I did not achieve my highest possible score on the January LSAT. I believe that I can do better in February or April. Are there any reasons why I should not take the test again? For example, a school that will notice that I took the test multiple times or one that would average my scores together. I appreciate the advice and I'm looking forward to Demon 2.0. Okay, schools don't average except for in Canada, right? And they don't, we've talked about this before, but they don't. We talk about it on every episode. Schools only care about your highest score. There is no penalty for taking it multiple times. I'm kind of surprised that F doesn't know that if they've been around for a while. I mean, it's just such a bad way outdated piece of advice. You know, I, I did the, uh, Nabalsa thing on last Friday or whatever it was Mm -hmm. really nice group of people, super happy that I could help them out. But it was like the very first question was like, well, how, how do we, how do we make sure we're ready for the test? Cause you know, I've heard that schools will average your scores. And I'm like, oh my God, that was outdated information 13 years ago when I started teaching the LSAT. <laughs> it's like never been true. It keeps you know? coming up. And it's Where is always it keeps coming up. I could be like, you know, those shitty coming down from Canada? books. There's- <laughs> yeah, Canada. It's <laughs> fucking Canada, you guys. <laughs> Huh. With your niceness. Oh, no, Barons. Um, yes. I know what you're talking about. It's Those in every Baron goddamn books bookstore. And library. Barons LSAT. If you want to rent a 
library, if you want to rent an LSAT book from the library, which a lot of people consider because, you know, they're tight on cash, so they go to the library. For some reason, libraries stock the Barron's books. All right, now, well, it's, it's, that's what? the ones that's on the shelf. If you go, it used to drive <laughs> me nuts because I wrote six LSAT books. I published six LSAT books and I self-published them. So there's no distribution, obviously. But I would go into Barnes & Noble and look at the LSAT books and it's mm-hmm. like Kaplan Premier. Princeton Review 2012 and Barrett, you know, and maybe like LSAT for dummies. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, wow, you literally have the worst possible LSAT books. You only have <laughs> the worst possible LSAT books. Yeah. On those shelves. It's just so terrible. It is terrible. And I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Barron's book or LSAT for dummies or whatever was like, oh, well, they'll they'll consider all your scores. They're going to average your scores. Most people don't improve. So don't take the test multiple times. It's all just terrible, <laughs> terrible advice. Yeah. Well, it's probably been around since 2007 and they haven't ever op- updated it. Maybe earlier than that. But it had to be before that because I started in 2007 and it was bad advice then. I mean, the schools were not averaging scores then. All right. Thanks F. Um, next one. Yeah, your turn. I think it's me. Hi, Nathan. Oh, this was, oh, this is that direct email to me. Okay. First of all, I want to thank you. I've been using LSAT Demon for almost three months now, and I've officially made it into the 150s. Not only that, but I genuinely find the test fun, and I look forward to my time studying. I feel that the 160s and maybe even 170s are around the corner with the Demon. Wow, that is really nice to hear. Yeah. Especially, I love the having fun with it part. I mean, if you're having fun with it, you are a much better candidate for improvement. So that that's awesome. Try to find the fun in it. Unfortunately, LSAC makes it that the law school admissions process can't be as enjoyable as studying for the LSAT with the demon. I've been struggling back and forth with LSAC on this issue, and I'd really appreciate your advice, especially because I know for a fact that you are more competent. <laughs> I don't know that who is this anonymous. I don't know that they know that for a fact that I'm more competent. They strongly believe that. (laughs) Yeah. I will. I know for a fact that the combination of me and Ben is more competent. I know that we are more competent. I don't know that my, uh, me by myself. I don't know. About a month ago, I submitted my college transcripts to LSAC both college A that I transferred from and my college B transcripts. Many college credits from high school transferred to college A, but college B did not accept them. Therefore, they did not contribute toward my bachelor's degree. Okay, so you see what's going on now. There's high school classes. Anonymous goes to junior college somewhere. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. So the credits did transfer to the community college, but then those same credits didn't transfer to the four-year whatever university. I've never heard about this issue before, by the way. Have you? Uh, of the AP things? Well, they're not AP credits. They are just credits that transferred into the junior college, but did not transfer to the university. Have you ever heard of this before? Oh, I, have I haven't not. heard that problem. No. Okay. That's the problem. So someone at LSAC told me that because these credits didn't contribute toward my bachelor's degree, I didn't have to submit them. A few days later, I received an email from LSAC (laughs) stating that the college level courses I took in high school were unacknowledged transcripts, only non AP courses. I'm not sure what that really means. Since then I've called LSAC five or six times and I've been accidentally hung up on told I would be called back and was not called back. And I've received a different answer every time I've called. Everyone says I have to submit these transcripts, but some say these credits from high school will contribute toward my LSAC GPA, and some have said they won't since they don't contribute toward my bachelor's degree. I'm not surprised that LSAC is confused on this issue. They aren't... I don't know. I'm sorry to our friends at LSAC, but... the. (laughs) we do get this a lot where we're getting like, where people get like different answers from different people at LSAC. Yeah. Uh, And and it's a novel issue to me. So yeah, I'm not surprised that they're like, Oh, we, the people that you're talking to are just going to, well, we don't know. Hmm. Okay. I'm making a stink about this because my LSAC GPA as it stands is 3.89. 
that's badass. It's awesome. This includes credits both from College A and College B. However, one of the four classes they are asking for, uh, asking for a transcript for, was a three-credit course that I got a 2.0 out of 4.0 in. So a C. The other three courses from high school were A's, but I'm devastated because I worked extremely hard throughout college and I was a really different student in high school. I feel that including these grades, contributing to my GPA for law school is extremely unfair, especially when APs that transferred to college A won't count. Why some, but not others? One LSAC team member, this is the funny part, Ben. One LSAC team member told me not to worry because my GPA would still be in the 3.0s. It might just be something like a 3.5 instead. <laughs> what? Okay, someone doesn't know math. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny on multiple levels. This nearly made me throw my phone out the window. I hope she was as bad at math as I think she is. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing for two reasons. One, there's no way that one grade is going to lower you from a 3.9 to a 3.5. Especially when it comes along with three other A's, right? Right. If we, if, if it does indeed come along with those, so three A's and a C is a B plus averages out to a 3.5. Just, just the new grades are a 3.5. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, three point five. Okay, mm-hmm. four plus four plus four plus two yep. divided yeah, by yeah, four. Yeah, yeah, got the same. Three point yeah. five. That's why I got my B plus. Okay, I got you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's an and, A minus. Yeah. Well, it's between Wait. a B plus and an A minus, so it's yeah, it, it's good. It's a three point five, and that's going to be weighted into your then three point nine. So adding yep. some three point five, four classes worth of three point five to a three point nine, maybe this lowers it to a three point eight. Yeah. But it's not going to lower you all the way to a 3.5. So that's one reason why it's funny is because it's like this person didn't even think about the math at all. Mm -hmm. The second reason why it's funny is because if if it did actually lower you from a 3.9 to a 3.5, that would be a really big deal. That would suck. And this yeah. person from LSAC is like, well, it'll still be in the threes. I mean, you know, it might be a 3.5 instead of a 3.9. I'm like, I would throw the phone out the window or definitely want to. I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's a huge deal to lower your grade point average from a 3.9 to a 3.5. Are you kidding me? That could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Hey, don't worry just... about your LSAC score. It's going to be somewhere in the 160s, all right? Yeah. I mean, you know. 169, okay. 162. Hey. I truly appreciate your having read this entire email. If you have made it this far. Yes, we did. I'm just extremely angry and I don't know what to do. I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Bullet points, questions. Do you think I should try to get away with not submitting these transcripts from high school? I feel like all that's going to do is delay your application. I Actually, so I was thinking about this. If LSAC doesn't know what to do, then that's an opportunity for you to take a position, decide what you want and then advocate for that. So, I I mean, I agree with you. It will delay things. But uh, instead of calling and asking what they should do, you should be calling and telling them what to do. Say, hey, there's a holdup on my transcript or whatever on my LSAC GPA. I'd like you to wrap it up. I need that report. And they'll say, oh, wait, we're looking for this. Oh, no, no, those aren't included. They're from high school. Oh, okay. Well, I'll get that out to you. Who knows? Like, instead of asking, start telling um, if it As we work. record this, it's January 28th. So anonymous shouldn't be trying to apply this, you know, like if she's trying to apply right now, she's doing the wrong thing. Yep. LSAT scores for people who have already applied this cycle are way, way up. Like there's twice as many people who have scored 175 or plus uh, or higher. And there's yep. like 50% more people who have scored 170 or higher that have already applied. And the cycle's not even, or, uh, not even over. It's a super competitive cycle. You're late in a super competitive cycle. Don't apply this cycle. Yep. So then I guess she has time to like go to war with LSAC. So maybe she should try to get away with not submitting these transcripts, but not submitting the transcripts or not having them included. I feel like they might want to see the transcripts anyway. I don't know. Do you think I should submit the transcripts and then attempt to appeal, including them in my GPA somehow? What kind of impact do you think this will have on applications? 
I greatly appreciate your help with this issue and the entire LSAT. The LSAT Demon team has been a dream to work with, and I'm loving every second of the study process. Thank you for everything. Thanks again. Have a great week. Okay, that's it. Um, what do you think? How I, do we how do we try to get LSAC not to include this stuff? Well, I feel like she's calling and asking them. I would just call them and start telling them to move her LSAC GPA thing along. And if she gets pushed yeah. back, then maybe she does have to submit her transcripts. But again, argue that they a, should not be included. Like not, don't ask. Yeah, I agree with you, Ben. Make it a statement, not a question. Mm-hmm. Sounds like LSAC is already asking her f- for these transcripts. Mm-hmm. One approach would be to write them a letter or maybe make a phone call. But she has to drive the agenda and say, these courses don't count because. Yep. You know, whatever it is. As you state, like find the policy on the LSAC website. And if the policy says grades that didn't count toward your bachelor's don't count toward your LSAC GPA, then you might be able to get away with refusing to even submit these transcripts by saying, well, according to your policy, they don't count. But if they dig their heels in and like refuse to move to the next step before they see these transcripts, I don't know that there's anything she can do about it. Well, then she submits them, but she can still appeal. That said, stepping back from all of this, if this becomes an excuse of the week to not improve your LSAT score, you need to let it go entirely because the effect on your GPA, I think, is GPA is going to be minimal. And you could always just write an addendum that says, hey, my GPA was actually this, but... It's some- even better than it than it looks, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, let's say this knocks her down to a 3.75 Yep. Short addendum. Hey, there's these, there's this one grade from a class that I took in high school. It doesn't even count toward my bachelor's. If we recalculate my GPA without that one grade, it's a 3.9. It's high school. They're going to let it go. Yeah. And I don't think they're using this as an excuse to not improve. It sounds like she's, she said at the top that she's on her way, you know, to the one sixties and maybe the one seventies. I'm sure she has that goal. I'm worried about someone who's sitting at, I mean, like listen how angry she sounds. She's going to be sitting there and being like consumed two hours of her day, like looking for the, the rules then calling them and then being upset that the call didn't go well and be like, okay, I'm going to take a break. It's like, forget it all. Sometimes you have to let other people win because the battle is a battle. You should never have started in the first place. Okay. Yeah. As, I mean, I, I think know. she should try to somehow massage this if she can, but yeah, I agree with you that it's not, it's, it's not, uh, this is not a make or break kind of an issue and rather than burn too many calories on it, she needs to take care of herself and make sure that she's moving forward on the LSAC. LSAC. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think we agree in the sense that it's like, try, take the lead on it. But then, um, if, if it doesn't work out, let it go. Okay. All right. Um, Next one. Yeah. What should accepted students waiting for financial aid decisions do to show interest in the school while waiting? I'm currently filling out merit aid interest forms, joining groups, and RSVPing for admitted student days. This is from Sophie, by the way. LSAT demon Sophie. Okay. So she's waiting for financial aid decisions. So she's already admitted. She's in the like negotiating phase. Yeah. Okay. Lots of times schools will admit you and then say, okay, we're going to send you information about money. Yeah. She continues. A Dean called me on the phone and I expressed enthusiasm, but he didn't say anything about financial aid, which was probably the right call. Okay, but I also didn't mention how comparatively high on my list his school is. If I received a 75% scholarship there, which is within what I know some other students with my stats have gotten before, it would honestly be my first or second choice. Can I tell him this? Uh, I've seen some indications that the office does care how much you want to come and would offer more aid to someone who's indicated that in a number of ways. I've also seen some conflicting indications that it's just all stats and you should do nothing while waiting and only negotiate once you have all of your offers. 
Bottom line, if the school calls and accepts you over the phone, what do you say? If a school releases the majority of its acceptances before any aid offers, for this school, all aid comes out around March, is there anything you can do to lay the groundwork for a higher aid offer after already being accepted? We get a lot of these, like, how do you negotiate types of questions? And the answer is there's lots of different ways to negotiate. I mean, I don't know. What would you do if somebody called you up on the phone and said, like, hey, what are you doing Saturday night? I mean, you either say, yeah, let's do it. Or you say, oh, I'm not sure. If if a dean of a law school called me to offer me admission, I mean, <laughs> they might be trying to get you to accept on the spot. Yeah. I just don't do that. There's no, never any reason to accept on the spot. They've already accepted you. Now it's the, it's your option at that point. Yeah. Say thank you. Be nice. I'll try to get to know it over and I'll get back to you. Yeah. Like talk about their school, see what they want to talk about. See if they have, you know, ask whatever questions you have, you know, do whatever. I, I don't, it seems rude kind of. Like I'm imagining if Sophie was like, well, my numbers indicate that I should be able to get a 75% scholarship from your school. And if you did give me a 75% scholarship, then you would be my number one choice. Uh, It's a decision. It's a choice you could make for how you wanted to do the negotiation. I don't think I would do it that way. I think you have to decide what you want and then ask for that. Just say, hey, thank you so much. I'd really love to come to your school. It would. The main factor on my mind right now is just uh, scholarships. Yeah, I'm super concerned you can about. Leave it right there. <laughs> accumulating a mountain of debt. I I really look forward to seeing what what kind of a scholarship you can offer me. Yep. That's not you know they know that that's the game so it's not like they're going to be shocked. You know, how dare you? bring up yeah. money um, when I'm offering you this glorious opportunity <laughs> to come to my law school. They, they know that that's just fake. Anyway, if you really are above their numbers, they know that you're above their numbers. So they know that you're a scholarship candidate. So I guess it's not that much of a surprise. Mm-hmm. I don't think you need to, the whole thing of like telling them that they're your first choice or whatever. I just don't think that that really helps you in the negotiation. No. Do you want to go or not? <laughs> Say, I, I, I'm looking forward to attending. I'm just yeah. concerned about the financial aspect of it. And I look forward to seeing what kind of scholarship offers you have. And then they come back with something. And if it's no matter what it is, you're probably going to want to ask for more. But if it's more than you ever anticipated, then maybe you say, great, yeah. thanks and walk away. You're done. So to lay the groundwork for a higher aid offer. Yeah. I think you could always say, I look forward to, seeing your aid offers. Yeah. It shows that that's something that's important to you. Some people it's not important. I'm like talking to them and they're like, yeah, I don't care about money. Like they got family money or something and they're not going to say that to these (laughs) schools because all they want to do is get in. I'm sure the Dean is really interested to hear that information. If, if they said, if you said like, I could see if you really are made of money, I could see it being worthwhile as part, like as a wait list thing. I could see, I could see writing in like, Hey, I'll pay full price. Yep. I'll pay, I'll pay full price and I'll accept your offer today. Yep. Now I think you're dumb if you do that, but if you, (laughs) if you really were, you know, had hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank and it was like, it, it literally doesn't make a difference to you. Yep. Then I can see how that would be a way to do, way to do it. But it seems like Sophie's asking the reverse of that. Like if you really do care about money, then yeah, I, I, no problem saying something along the lines of, "Oh, I see that your financial aid comes out in March. I'll I'll be interested to see what that offer says." Yeah. Okay. Excuse of the week time. Let's do it. Uh is it me? It's me. Yep. Matt reminded me. So we have a couple here from our teachers. Uh, 
ch- chiming in with excuses of the week. By the way, please email help at lsatdemon.com. Maybe your study partner keeps making excuses. Maybe you've caught yourself making excuses for why you're not doing better on the LSAT. You could email help at lsatdemon.com and uh, get on the list for an excuse of the week in the future. But yep. we'll um, drop the hammer on you and you can. Get back yeah, to we work. will. <laughs> so there's a, there's two of them here. The, f- the first one, Matt reminded me one time when Matt was my TA in Los Angeles, I had, I, it was just like normal class. It was when I, back when I would teach classes in the weeknights in LA and it was like Monday, the class was like Monday, Wednesday or something, Mm -hmm. Monday, Mm -hmm. Wednesday, and maybe like Saturday practice test or something like that. (laughs) And one of the students, and I think it was like one of our students who tended to make a lot of excuses but, but the excuse was, um, I was like, okay guys, see you Wednesday. And somebody chimes in with like, but Wednesday's Halloween, we're having <laughs> class on, on Wednesday. <laughs> and it, it just, it struck both me and Matt, I think funny because it's like, Hey man, what do you think we're doing here? Like we're preparing you for your legal career. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is the first step toward you becoming a lawyer who represents clients in legal matters. <laughs> and but it's Halloween on Wednesday. It was just such a funny. It's like, listen, class gets out at like 10 p.m. If you want to go to the bar after that, you can go to the bar after that. But thinking that we weren't going to have class because of Halloween. I don't know. I just, it, I just thought that was, it's not because I mean, Halloween is not a national holiday. Nope. It's not a bank holiday. And <laughs> this person was like trying to get out of LSAT class. It's a pretty good sign. If you're trying to get out of LSAT class, if you're looking forward to LSAT class being canceled, it's a, it's a, <laughs> we would call that a strike against your like odds of you becoming a successful lawyer. So I enjoy that as a excuse of the week. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's, that's like an attorney who's getting a court date scheduled from the judge and the judge is like, how about February 10th? And they're like, uh, it's my birthday actually. (laughs) It's four days before Valentine's day, your honor. And, uh, It's like, uh, I don't care. Do you want to have your court date or not? You want to help your people? Man, people do not understand the sacrifices that are going to need to be made. It's going to be the the sacrifices are going to be significant. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's listening to this, I hope that you are ready to make significant sacrifices toward you know, on behalf of your future clients, you need to start making those sacrifices now for your LSAT prep. Law school is going to be <laughs> three years of nonstop sacrifice. <sighs> okay. Here's the other one. Yep. We have two of them this week. Uh, my favorite excuse of all time. This is from one of our teachers hmm. is the LSAT is just a test and has nothing to do with what I'll actually study and do in law school. Hmm. It's just something I have to do to get admitted. <laughs> there's some commentary here from the teacher mm-hmm. it says i didn't know how to respond to that in the moment it was two years ago i was a baby lsat tutor and was like but wait what okay maybe we aren't a good fit <laughs> I mean, what maybe would you the say student, yeah it just doesn't realize how good the test is at testing your ability to understand logic, which is something that's immensely uh, necessary. If <laughs> Something can become immensely necessary, but critical in law school and your legal practice. It also tests your ability to read and understand words, which is critical to law school and your legal practice. Uh, it's, it's, look, it's, I always say three hard things. Work. Yeah. English, logic, and how hard you can work. Yeah. That's what the LSAT's testing. <laughs> Lawyers are gladiators of the English language. Mm-hmm. If you don't think that a test of English is 
germane to your law school candidacy. What? <laughs> logic, especially just like the logic of arguments. Yep. That's what lawyers do, right? So reading comp seriously tests your English reading attention to detail. Logical reasoning tests your logical argumentation and your reading comprehension. Again, logic games test how hard you can work. How, how, how hard are you willing to prepare for your exam in law school? How, how hard are you willing to prepare for your legal matter on behalf of your client? So <laughs> it's extreme, you know, and it makes you better at all three of those things. Yep. Prepping for the LSAT makes you better at English. It makes you better at logic and you get to practice the work ethic by doing, you know, repeated practice of these LSAT questions, particularly the logic games. Mm -hmm. So if you don't think English logic and hard work are important to being a lawyer, then I don't know. You have a different conception of being a lawyer than I do. All right. Go ahead. I like that new piece. Should I write my personal statement on ultra running? Is writing about work the best? Hi, Annalisa, Ben, and Nathan. I appreciate the nutrition and sleep reminders in episode 277. Your comments on alcohol resonate most. Last week, I celebrated two years of sobriety. At the risk of confusing sufficient for necessary, if I wasn't sober, then I wouldn't be studying for the LSAT. Or worse... I could be suffering the slings and arrows of a fucking Kaplan course. <laughs> Ultra running in sobriety has become my framework for a productive life. I live like a monk. I study, run, and work. 300 days after quit, I quit drinking. I finished my first 100-mile ultramarathon in 27 hours. Wow. Without disclosing... Yeah, seriously. Without disclosing my recovery... I don't know why that needs to be kept secret. I'd like to highlight ultra running somewhere in my applications to law schools. Oh, I see. I'm curious whether or not this could be an effective topic for my personal statement. I think anyone who's completed an ultra marathon has taken on a challenge and succeeded. I don't see why that wouldn't be something you could talk about. Uh, you could definitely talk about it. For context, I work in economic development. I'll be 30 when I plan to attend law school in 2022. I have work-related experiences, some of which are law-adjacent, that could make for compelling personal statements. Professional experiences or professional experience and LSAT GPA aside, I want to further distinguish myself as an applicant. Perhaps this can be shown, not told, through the lens of endurance sport. I welcome your thoughts on the following. Am I foolish to overlook a personal statement about my work-related accomplishments? Um, I don't think you're overlooking them. I think you're considering them, and I would ultimately you're going to want to decide on which one is best. I would actually write both. Well, I think you can include both in one statement. I mean, it's not like it has to be all one or all the other. We, we, we frequently see people try to do too much in a personal statement when they try to like capture their whole, you know, here's my whole resume wrapped up into one thing. Yeah. We definitely don't want that, but I don't see why you can't tell ultra marathon story side by side with some business stuff or business stuff side by side with some ultra marathon stuff. I don't, I don't think that those two are next necessarily mutually exclusive. I also think that the ultra marathon thing is so powerful by itself that you, it's like the, you just say the one word and I got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you put it in your resume or something. And it's like, well, it's, okay. it, I'm sure that that should be on your resume yeah. under interest for sure. But one adding that in as a one sentence, like aside, after finishing to, my ultra marathon, I went back to the office, yada, yada. Yeah, well, yeah. Or, you know, just something like, um, you could draw a little parallel to ultra marathoning somewhere. You could, you could throw in a, at maybe near the conclusion or something you could throw in like, I recently finished my first 100 mile, you know, aside away from work, I, you know, 
in the last year I have finished five ultra marathons. Yeah, I, I actually agree. I think that if you dedicate a full personal statement to it, it could actually end up backfiring because it's like you're saying so much and we're like, okay, yeah, yeah, we get it. Um, whereas if you just allude to it, someone's like, wait, what? You did an ultra marathon? Okay. I don't need to hear any of the specifics. Yeah. I mean, you say, you say ultra marathon, it's like, okay, you don't need to go on for two pages about your blisters and you're having to be super careful about your nutrition before the race. And you're like, you know, like describing to me the, how you hit the wall and then you hit the second wall and then you hit the third wall and then you keep mm-hmm. going. And you know, like, it's like, yeah, yeah. When you said ultra marathon, I pretty much got all that. Yeah. Right. The early mornings or the brutal, grueling, whatever. Don't you can leave all that out because you just, yep. it goes without saying. Yeah. Two. So, could a, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Could a story about training for and running at 100 miles be an appropriate topic for a personal statement? I think it could work, but I think this aside angle is probably your best bet. Every reader is going to make all those, they're going to fill in all those blanks for you the second you say ultra marathon. So one sentence, two sentences, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Number three, if not, how might I still bake that into my broader application? Well, we just said that. So thank you for what I know will be candid feedback. Feel free to use any of this. Yada, yada. Praise the demon. Cheers. Adam. Oh, you used your name. Thanks, Adam. P.S. Before discovering the demon, I dumbly made the obligatory Kaplan purchase. That godforsaken textbook remains in pristine condition and is now the makeshift platform atop which my MacBook sits during Nathan's Zoom classes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think we covered that. Sounds good. I I would love to see Adam. Um, I hope you'll submit the personal statement to our personal statement wood chipper. We've been doing those every Thursday night for demon live subscribers. All I got to do is get your, um, get yourself on the list. We do two of them every single week. Uh, I would love to see a personal statement about mostly about business stuff, but like, see how you can fit the ultra marathon in there, maybe at the top, maybe at the bottom, but it is, and it should be on your resume. But, um, I'd love, I, I think that one is powerful enough, Ben. It's a fact that speaks volumes, right? I mean, describe, give five words that describe Adam. If all you know about him is that he runs ultra marathons, what, what inferences do you yeah. make? Describe Discipl- Adam. Disciplined, healthy, determined, goal oriented, <laughs> Uh, yeah, hard worker. I mean, those are all kind you of, you could related, go on and on. Yeah. It, and it's every reader is going to make all of those same inferences, a whole suite, if you will, of inferences <laughs> about Adam. I don't know why I just did that. <laughs> that was so stupid. <laughs> are you getting, are you getting caught up in yourself here a little bit, Nathan? You're just like, <laughs> I love listening to myself talk. It is true. Um, <laughs> I was just trying to make you laugh. That's all. But um, it worked. Dude. The, you know, you you reach like a whole, there's a whole basket of inferences about Adam that you make because of that one fact. And it would be so much worse if he went on and on trying to force those inferences on, on you. On you, yeah. <laughs> Instead I'm so of disciplined. just. <laughs> It would make it worse. Like if you went ultra marathon and then started talking about all of the characteristics that that implies. Yeah. He sounds like a dick and, and we just believe him less, right? If he just says ultra marathon and drops the mic, Mm -hmm. then we pick up the mic and start saying, Oh, discipline, goal oriented, you know, all that, (laughs) all that shit about Adam. Dude, you know, this, for some reason, this just made me think of like on LinkedIn every now and then, like I'll come across somebody and in their like brief description, they'll call themselves a serial entrepreneur. (laughs) I'm just like, (laughs) no, like you want to talk about a real serial entrepreneur. That'd be like someone like Elon Musk who start, you know, (laughs) co-founds PayPal and then it's like successful. And then they, he co-founds, you know, SpaceX, it's successful or founds um, Tesla and it's successful, or at least I don't know, he took over some of it or something, but whatever. The point is that's a serial entrepreneur. People uh, like, they like want the label and you're just like vomit. 
this forcing this ultra marathon description on someone is the same vomit feeling like you're like all right okay enough i actually don't believe you did this or right give me the list of businesses successful businesses that you started yeah and i will then go ooh Serial entrepreneur. But if yeah, you go serial entrepreneur, I go, eh, all right, let's see the evidence. I'm not sure I really. <laughs> okay. Um, last thing we have on the show today is shit kids say wrong. And I brought, I brought this one to the table. Yeah, this is weird to me. Uh, I would like to nominate aesthetic as our next candidate. Kids say so aesthetic which is just so fucking stupid. Um, I, kids say that? Yeah, it drives me nuts. I don't even know that people say aesthetic. It drives me nuts. People will say... Where do say, people say this? Huh? Where do people say this? I, I don't know, but I've heard it enough times that I got pissed off about it and had to put it on the agenda. Okay. okay. This is coming straight from me. And yeah. it's, I, just because I <laughs> spend a lot of time with the kids, the kids these days in my LSAT classes. Yeah. And they something will come up like oh you live in lake tahoe oh it's so aesthetic (laughs) 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 and i'm like that is not now producer annalisa is has been arguing with me about this okay yeah um and we've talked about it on a couple different episodes uh recently Okay. of the show that language is uh, dictionaries are meant to be descriptive, descriptive, not prescriptive. And what's the difference between prescript proscriptive means prohibitive, huh? So descriptive, not prescriptive prescriptive means telling people what to do. Yeah. If we assume that the definition of words matters at all, which <laughs> Annalise's position is no language evolves over time. And it's true that language does evolve over time. Sorry. <laughs> ben hates it because, and it's true because you're going to eventually your writing is going to reach crotchety old folks like us and crotchety old folks like us are going to read that and think that you've used the word incorrectly. So despite the fact that it is true that language evolves over time, you should probably use words in ways in which old folks are going to like think you're smart. And I mean, and we're not that old. We're middle-aged. In fact, we're getting solidly into the age range of people who like make decisions. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like when, you're, when we were in our twenties or thirties, like when we were just starting our businesses, we were just kind of like kids and not, not of the age where we would be determining things, but yeah. there's like judges who are 45 years old. Mm-hmm. And so like our perspective on that, when you, when you say, Oh, Lake Tahoe is so aesthetic. I go, ah, aesthetic means concerned with beauty or the appreciation of beauty. You could say that Lake Tahoe has a certain aesthetic that you like. Mm -hmm. (sighs) There are uses of aesthetic that, that do mean giving or designed to give pleasure through beauty or of pleasing appearance. Yeah. An example of that would be the law applies to both functional and aesthetic objects. You know, a, pre- a, a beautiful vase or something, you could describe that as an aesthetic object where it's like, well, it doesn't have that much of a purpose. It's more like just design. It's just here to be pretty. Sure. But describing it as aesthetic does not mean it's beautiful. Yeah. It means it was, cr- it, it means it's meant to be beautiful, but you might think it's ugly. Yeah. Right. You can hate someone's aesthetic. Yeah. You might hate my aesthetic <laughs> in my like log cabin with the endless wood, wood in, around my house. You, you know, you, you might look at that and be like, Oh, gross. I could never live in that. Yeah. You might hate the aesthetic of my house. You might mm-hmm. say that my house has a distinct aesthetic, mm-hmm. but no matter how much you love my house, you're not allowed to say it is so aesthetic. <laughs> that's shit kids say wrong okay well we'll have more for that for sure email help at lsatdemon.com if you run across uh 
other things that kids say wrong. Yeah. And in your emails to the show, please tell me whether you believe language is always changing and thus free to do whatever you want, you're free to do whatever you want, or language is relatively fixed. I think it's actually somewhere in between. I mean, there are those like grammarian assholes that, you know, are obsessed <laughs> with rules from the past. And some people would say that I'm one of them. But I I don't think I think it's a, a function of like, is the word being used by a majority of the people. It doesn't have to be used by everybody. I've been reading Virginia Woolf lately. Yeah. Just randomly happened to pick up a Virginia Woolf novel. And uh, she's a f- fantastic writer, but it was written a hundred years ago and English has changed significantly since yep. then, you know? Sure. And so I, you will catch, like you'll definitely notice her using words in antiquated ways. And these days we would use a different word or we wouldn't use that word that way. But you, in your writing, you should not try to be on the avant-garde of language usage. I mean, you, like, you shouldn't sound like you got all of your uh, vocabulary from TikTok or whatever. Like, even though that's true, I'm speaking to you, you know, 21 year old listener you should write for a broad audience and writing for a broad audience means using words in mostly straightforward ways and uh, got to be careful with the sort of also well just for clarity and just for like what you're trying to bring attention to your writing or do you have a message to share I don't know there's just so many reasons I think all right you want to wrap it up yep we're on Facebook Instagram Twitter and YouTube at thinking LSAT and at LSAT Demon. Email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. Email the team, the LSAT Demon team, at help at lsatdemon.com if you have any questions about our classes there or anything there. That was episode 282 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Bye.